I'm Michael Troughton, and this is the Sirens of Audio. Oh, my giddy aunt. G'day audiophiles, this is the Sirens of Audio, the show that explores Doctor Who. On audio, I'm Dwayne. And I'm Philip. G'day Dwayne, g'day audiophiles. G'day Philip. We're going to be speaking with uh, the one and only second Doctor, Michael Troughton, who's recreated the role uh, for Big Finish Audio later in the episode. Wow, it's great. To, always good to talk to a Doctor, isn't it? It is always great to talk to a Doctor and to talk to a Doctor's son as well. Yeah, so we'll get some interesting stories there. And I first sort of really got to know Michael through his writing of the autobiography of, of his dad. So I found that a fascinating listen. I listened to it. I didn't read it. Um, so that's where I discovered, because there's a lot of diary entries in that particular book, um, that when he does the audiobook reading, he does his dad's voice spectacularly. And... I think it's even closer to Patrick Troughton than in the Big Finish box sets because he tries to inject a bit of himself into the Big Finish. But we'll get onto that, no doubt, later later on in the episode. Do you know what, Philip? No, what, Dwayne? Before we get to Michael Troughton, we have to do one thing, and that is jump is it- down that rabbit hole. Let's go. <laughs> Can I just say, now we're down the rabbit hole, um, I was listening to our, our episode last week and you changed the sound. I did. I've it was a shock. Backlash. I had no idea it was going to happen. And I saw there was some backlash too. Loved it. <laughs> oh, oh, it's nothing like controversy in the land of the sirens of audio where we changed the uh, rabbit hole sound. You never know. It may have been changed back <laughs> by the time this goes out. No, but, I so. like the new one. I think it's good to change now and then. Mm. I do too, but yeah, always good to generate a bit of buzz. Oh is, yeah, which is what it did. <laughs> Some people get used to something and they don't like change, do they? So that's that's an interesting segue into my rabbit hole topic. Really? Uh, well, there you go. Because we've just had the announcement that Jodie Whittaker is appearing at Gallifrey uh, in 2023. So we've got the Doctor there. Now, do you remember what happened when Joe Martin and Sasha Dewan turned up at Gallifrey earlier this year? We had Jason Haygallery approach them and talk to them about putting out a couple of box sets. So we've got the the Joe Martin box set coming out. We've got the, uh, which is called The Fugitive Doctor. And we've got the Sasha Dewan box sets that are coming out called, Call, is it Call Me Master? And uh, so I suspect that with Jodie Whittaker coming to the Gallifrey 2023, that Jason may be there and he may be uh, waving his little magic pen around and seeing if he can get uh, Jodie to do some, uh, some audios. But that's my question. We've got people like you and I who are 
are lovers of the classic era. And I still feel it to this day, if I want to throw on a bit of casual Doctor Who, I am nine times out of ten more likely to put on classic era than I am to put on new era. So is that the same for you? Depends what mood I'm in. Oh, you've got to you've got to be in the right mood. Well, you? it depends. Um, so, so, <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah, yeah. One, not my recommendation. Another one, but but yeah, one of the podcasts I listen to every week is um, Flight uh, Through Entirety, mm-hmm. which I've listened to since the very beginning. And at the moment, they're doing season seven B of Matt Smith, and so I'm actually watching every episode of that during the week right. before they do their little commentary because that way I'm. I have my own opinions first, yeah, and also with our good friends as well. Um, Around the console? No, so our good friends too. All of time and space. All of time and space. So also <laughs> working their way through, um, and so I'm, I'm trying to also um, with the classic series listen to that before they get to it as well. Yeah. So sometimes it's a bit a bit of a mixed bag. I've also got the complete set of I forget what it's called now. The complete Doctor Who history of Doctor Who. And I've been reading through them, and I, I watch the episode and then read the relevant articles with that. So I, I'm, at the moment, I'm pretty random in where I'm coming from. So, But I, I'm currently doing the Matt Smiths in line with Flight Through Entirety, in, time with, in line with watching it. So I'm sort of watching, reading, listening Matt Smith at the moment, and realising that's the first two seasons of Matt Smith I watched lots and lots of times. The first five episodes or so before Rory and uh, leaves, I've watched that several times. These ones with Clara, I think I've maybe watched two times. So this may only be the third time I'm watching it. So I'm really feeling like I haven't seen as much. And then as it means to Peter, Peter Calpaudi, um, I would have watched all of them once or twice, but certainly not more than twice. And in fact, there'd be some episodes I've not even seen twice yet. Um, and then Jody, I've not watched any one of those more than once. Okay. But the classics, I mean, you know, go back to Robert's of Death, and I must have seen that 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I've seen it more than that. But the reason I bring this up is that well, you're a bit more uh, broad in your, in your viewing of the television series. How does it go when it comes to audio? We've got a mixture of new releases. We've got a mixture of old releases uh, or classic classic and new series releases on Big Finish, I have a tendency still to go for, if I'm re-listening to stuff, I have a tendency to go back to classic era stuff. Uh, what about yourself? Do you are you have an even mix yourself as well? or um, I guess Is it just it, that the classic era, there's more of it to choose uh, from? Um, I, what, do, what do you care as the classic era? Anything that's set in the Doctor Who universe prior to the Ninth Doctor. That's a good question. Uh, prior to the Ninth Doctor, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yes, no, yes, yeah, five, six, seven, eight, four. No, no, they'd definitely be my preferred audios all the time. I mean, I guess in part, you know, trying to keep up with the monthly releases, of which is about eight a month, is pretty. Whoa, um, you know, just just finished the um, David Ward, the Benny Doctor Who one today. Yeah. Um, so I'm always just trying to keep up with what's coming out. Plus, of course, whatever we're reviewing. And also when we have guests on, I try and listen to one or two audios at least of that. So I'm pretty smashed all the time with what I'm listening to. Try and- editing a podcast on top of that as well, <laughs> Philip. See how you go. Oh, no. Yeah. You're amazing, Dwayne. What can I say? 
Um, but yeah, so, so in terms of, I, I don't often get to sit down and just have a choice of what to listen to, except for the fact that, yeah, if, if our guests are coming on, I get to choose then what I want to listen to and I go to some of my favourites then. I, I guess as, as time goes by, there's probably going to be more and more new series material and less and less classic series, potentially, unless they keep recasting forever. Um, but I mean... I, I know they have a good bank of stories that they're going to release from the classic area for, for many years to come, but there will be a time, I think, when, you know, it's it starts to dry up. Yeah. Um, and I've been questioning myself as to whether I'll still maintain that interest because I know my interest is still with the with the classic era. era. Should I let that go and just concentrate on the new era Make sure, oh, and, sta- and start transitioning now? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't let it go. Um, there's there's lots of stuff in the new era that I'm I'm enjoying, and then these I mean the Bambera stuff too. I mean that's that's classic, I guess, but it's new classic, which is interesting. Um, and there's some you know some of the original stuff that they're producing too is also fantastic. So I I just love good stories, and I mean Missy Missy is one of the is fantastic that's come out recently, which I wouldn't have expected. Jenny the Doctor's Jenny the Doctor's daughter, I'm loving. Um, uh, Doctor's Wife, River Song. I mean, all that stuff is brilliant. I'm, I'm looking forward to the second Rose box set. Yeah, the because f- that was a surprising, a surprisingly good set, wasn't it? It was. I wasn't expecting it to be quite as good as it was, and yeah. it really impressed me. It was. Though I, I wish I'd take a listen to just one a week, because I guess because of the similarities of what was happening in the four stories. It, it felt. I, I think I listened to them all to one day because I sort of really just want. I've been desperate to get Billy Piper, and very excited. And I think I did, did myself a disadvantage because by listening to them all on one, in one sitting, right? Because there's because of the, the the whole plot lines of dimension canons and similar universes. I think they could have done with a bit more space. But I'm looking forward to seeing what they do this time. So there's some great stuff out there with with new series. I mean, I'm loving the Christopher Eccleston stuff. See, you talk about classic series. I'm still, I'm kind of feeling Chris Eccleston and David Tennant are now part of the classic era. It's heading in that direction, isn't it? Because it's a long time since they were on telly now, isn't it? 2005. I mean, that's, what's that, uh, 17 years ago. Well, if you think David Tennant left in 2009, didn't he? So that was uh, 14 years ago now. Yeah. Is that right? 12 years ago. Nine. Yeah, 12. We can't do our maths, Philip. No, I can't. It's 12 or 13. Um, it's a thing where Batsy left with New Year's Day. I can't remember exactly what year. Which, which year was that? Um, we left on... Oh, he did leave on New Year's Day too, didn't he? Left New Year's Day. But yeah, so I'm I, I sort of feeling they're more classic now than modern anyhow. So, mm. it, it, yeah, it, there's there's so much material out there, so much worth of stuff. And then throw in Space 1999, throw in Shilling and Sixpence, throw in you know, Gallifrey. There's just Blake no seven. end. Blake's, oh, Blake's Seven. I'm loving the Blake's Seven There's more stuff. Star Cops coming out too. Yeah. So, I still haven't caught up with the last lot of Star Cops yet. No, either have I. <laughs> so, no, that's my... Yep, there's so much stuff to but do. That is a very impressive series as well. So, uh, I don't think we're sport for... Well, we are sport for choice. Very sport to- for choice. We are totally sport for choice. And I do understand why some people just sort of say, yeah, well, yeah, recast. Well, I'm not going to get it recast because, yeah, I don't want to start something new. But when the recast is good as... The Michael Troughton ones, those two, yeah, you know, we'll talk about the second Doctor stories. Brilliant. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Ew. 
Not there. All right. That's uh, a little bit of uh, what's been on my mind today. So let's just climb right up out of the rabbit hole and I'll throw in a trailer for, let's throw in a trailer for the War Doc, uh, the Beyond War Games box set, shall I? And then we'll come back in a moment with Michael Troughton. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, the second Doctor Adventures, Beyond War Games. You have been content merely to observe the evil in the galaxy. I have been fighting against it. Jimmy, sorry. Don't forget me, I just got trapped here. Like you. Exterminate! Uh, hello? Oh! Who are you? Oh, what a big gun you've got! I see. You mean... I'll cease to exist. As you are now. Are you or are you not the doctor that I met during the Yeti business? Is this your ship? Uh, well, no. I suppose not. This planet was slap bang in the middle of our warp conduit. Curious. You're telling me. I'm not James Bond, you know. Where is your communication device? Can you hear me all right? Loud and clear, Doctor. We complete the attack run. Bombard the surface. Is this your new uh, companion? I'm no one's companion, thank you very much. The TARDIS is uh, mm, temperamental like that. <laughs> and at the moment, I'm, uh, well... <clears throat> Not exactly a free agent. Are you receiving Great Dane One? Greyhound, Doctor. Oh, oh, I do beg your pardon. Big finish for the love of stories. So it's always a great pleasure when we get to speak to a doctor and uh, taking uh. over taking over the reins as a new doctor for the second doctor, doing the role for his father, uh, is Michael Troughton. Michael, thank you for joining us. That's a pleasure to join you. Absolute pleasure. What time is it over there? It's about uh, ten thirty or so oh, at, ni- at night. No, yes. it's, it's fine. We, we're, we're both doing our night hours anyway, so it's not a problem. Right. right. Where, where, whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in uh, Suffolk in Great Britain. Um, that's the big bulgy bit on the side of Great Britain. If for people who don't know, um, <laughs> it's Norfolk above Suffolk, and then you go down into the sort of London area. I'm about probably about um, 100 miles away from London. Does it does it take you long to get? Do you need to get into London often to work? Do you know, I've stopped doing that. I used to uh, jump in the car and drive for an hour to an interview um, that would last about five minutes, and then get back in the car and drive back again. Um, what I generally do now is I do it like this, or um, of late. Um, I've got my own studio, so I've um, started doing audiobooks. Been doing it for about all around about four or five years now, um, with uh, Amazon, the Amazon Audible, um, you know, um, company. So yeah, I do a lot of that. I saw your profile. You're one of the preferred readers now. So you're. Oh yes, I'm very preferred. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be preferred. Yeah, it's very funny actually because. Uh, 
often when I go to these conventions, you know, people come up and say, oh, I love, you know, I loved um, listening to this particular story or that particular story on Audible. And this wonderful lady came up to me and said, oh, Mr. Trump, do you know, I love your voice. I really love it. It's, uh, it's got a certain lovely quality about it. And I listen every night. And I say, oh, that, that's really nice. Thank you very much. It puts me straight to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether that's a compliment or not, but there you go. <laughs> bit of a backhanded one there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, do, you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, just growing up? Because as I said, most people you know, know you yeah. both as your, your own, own acting, but also just as son of Patrick. And I guess your childhood, a lot of that would have been spent while your father was making the show. Yeah, yes. I mean, I was, um, I must have been 12 or 13 when he uh, he became Doctor Who. Um, he'd, he'd just finished a film called um, The Viking Queen and all this sort of, um, all the phone calls back and forth between his agent and him and uh, the BBC were going, uh, were going on over in Ireland where they were filming. Um, and the first I knew about it, we were down on holiday with mum um, in Cornwall, which is right at the other end of um, Great Britain, the sticking out bit. <laughs> um, and uh, we found out when he phoned up uh, the cottage we were staying and said, I finally agreed to do it. I hope, I hope it's the right thing. Because he was really, I don't know, he was very, very worried about being typecast. He, because he because he was very well established sort of character actor and, and and earned an awful lot of money doing television which was you know fairly rare in in that particular time the 50s and the 60s because it was still sort of you know quite young television I think he worried that he might only be known as the doctor um, but eventually I think they offered him so much money that <laughs> uh, he couldn't say no. And uh, consequently, um, you know, he uh, he went on to produce that most amazing character, which I, you know, well, he's my favourite, of course. Um, but uh, he went on to produce, you know, like he normally did. He he he'd look at a part, uh, he'd create the most fantastic character, deliver it, and then move on and do something else, which is essentially what he did, really. I've read that you had a fascination with the process of making television and film was it because of your dad or and, and what he was doing or something else yeah no I think it was actually I was um my brother did he, he did more um stage he much he much prefers I think to do stage David that's my brother um whereas I I I'm a bit like dad I like to to do to do a character get it really right um and then leave it it's the repetition, I think, probably, uh, you know, I agreed with Dad about the repetition. You could become a bit stale on stage, and it could be a little bit sort of, um, I don't know, the the whole thing could start to get a little bit dreary. Your performance. I know a lot of actors say, "Oh, but it's different every night." I just didn't find that. Neither did Dad. I don't think. I think you know, it was the same every night. That was the problem. He used to call it all that shouting in the evening, which uh, I think was uh, was quite um, not particularly right, but uh, a good sort of analogy of it. Did you ever get to go on set while filming or any of the rehearsals? Yeah, um, it was funny when I was writing the book. It, 
I was really sort of frightened. I wasn't going to remember enough to put in it, you know. But um, it was a bit like a snowball effect. Um, the uh, the memories would link and it would open up another bit of your mind that you didn't realise, you know, these memories you'd forgotten about. And I, I remember the studio uh, visits. I did two, I think, in all. Uh, the third one, we were going to go on location to Wales uh, for the Yeti episode, but uh, my brother had flu, so we couldn't go. Um, but the first one I think we went to was, um, was it the Emperor, where the Emperor Dalek? Can't remember the name of that one. Eve of the Daleks. That's it, the huge um, Emperor Dalek. And I remember uh, I remember watching uh, a few of the... Um, the scenes going on there. And I also, I think, I, if I remember right, I went to Ealing to see it being blown up, which was great fun. But the one I really remember was the Web of Fear um, with the uh, fantastic underground um, scenes. And uh, yeah, I was there the whole day for that one. That was great, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, because Debbie's, uh, Debbie's dad was in that one, wasn't he? It yeah. was Jack Watling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because we knew the family. So in a way, um, you know, I felt far more at home <laughs> there than I did with the other one. So so you mentioned the book and uh, being worried that you're going to remember uh, enough detail. <laughs> yeah. You did you did a lot of research as well. What's the I most yeah. What's the most surprising thing that you learnt about your dad that you didn't know before? Professionally, um, I think it was the the body of work he'd done. You know, when you look at what he did, I mean, it was nonstop. I know he had periods where, you know, he, he'd phone me up, especially later in his life and say, oh, I'm glad he worked, I don't know what to do, you know. Um, but early in his career, um, he managed to, as, as I say, this get into television. Um, and he took to it straight away. A lot of actors didn't because they were so stage uh, trained that they that they were too big for television. It was you know it, the performances were too large and a little bit you know for stage. Um, but Dad managed to to change his performances into much more subtle performances because the camera was so much closer. And so really, that's how you know he developed. What was the question again? I can't remember. <laughs> What was your question? What was the most surprising thing that you learned about your dad that you didn't know before? Well, that, that the body, and also I suppose it was a bit of a voyage of discovery about his private life. Um, I knew a little bit about it um, and the other family, and I'd met, you know, I'd met uh, the other lot. Um, but, uh, you know, the various... Um, various memories that I'd obviously, they, they, they'd been in the back of my mind, but I hadn't actually sort of faced them. Um, and they, they did come out and it, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't shocking. It was just, oh yes, I remember that. I remember how we used to go to grandma's and pretend we were a happy family um, with dad, because of course my, his mother never knew um, that um, my mum and him had separated. Um, I don't don't really know the reason why um, they kept it that way. I, I presume it was something of the period that divorce was 
was not a good thing to, to talk about in the 50s and 60s. Um, but yeah, I suppose it, it allowed me to find out much more about dad's private life. And uh, because I, I suppose I didn't really know him as well until the first, I suppose the last 10 years of his life, because we, we lived in the same area. So we were able to see each other a lot more. And I got a lot closer to him then than I was when I was a child because I was too young, really. I think David and Joe, Joe is my sister, is my sister. Um, they, you know, they, uh, I think it, it affected them more than it did me. And I think for that reason, I think they said you were the right person to write the biography because you, you, didn't, you didn't come, you know, you didn't start with a set of ideas in your head. Um, about how to approach it. It was a long, a long time in the in the the writing, though, wasn't it? It wasn't long after he passed away that that uh, it was suggested that you write it. But it took uh, a few decades before. Was that? Yeah. And it was. It, I, I've read that you mentioned it was because of your mum. Uh, yeah. Is that is that the main reason? Was she was she was it was it shame or resentment that she felt about the whole situation? She was still in love with him. Right. Essentially. Um, and she never remarried or she never, uh, you know, met anyone else. Um, and she devoted herself to bring up the family, essentially, in very difficult circumstances. But underneath, uh, she still loved him. And I just didn't want to write about anything, really, um, until she passed away. Um, and I think both David and my sister Jo, she, you know, we all sort of had this, you know, it was a, it was a pact really that we wouldn't do anything or talk about the family, um, you know, up until that point that my mother passed away. When when I heard the audiobook version, I haven't actually read the book. I've listened to it. Right. Um, it was your. It was your readings of of your dad's diary and you doing his voice when I thought, ah, yeah. there's if they ever had to recast the second Doctor, oh, there's, there's the voice. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that that was yeah. that was, oh, and I was saying that probably about eighteen months. I was saying to Philip before before it was announced that you got the role with Big Finish. Um, so yeah. what, what was that like doing the reading of it as well? It all happened so quickly, to be honest. Um, it, it happened over about three days, I think. Um, it was just a sort of a blur, really. Um, I I definitely tried to do my dad's, um, well, not do his voice, but try and, you know, try and uh, give an impression of him rather than anything else. Um, but I have to say, it was a lot easier reading my own work than it would be just reading a um, you know someone else's um, because I've written it and it, it did flow quite easily so yeah it was good fun it really was it was very good fun um, I'm hoping to try and re-record uh, probably next year um, the full book because of course that's not the the finished version because I I it, the first book went out without the last two episodes in it uh, two uh, chapters in it. Um, and so I re-released a, a second version of it. Um, and I'd like to try and read that one as well. 
Mm. I mean, it's, it's an excellent biography, and you know, strongly recommend it. I think oh. one of the things about Patrick Trout is that you know, your, your dad did keep his life very private, and yes. so there, there wasn't much known. And so when I actually read the biography, it, I was amazed at how honest you were and things that had been discussed. Yeah, I, I think I'd had so many people saying, you know, oh, you should write his biography um, before my mother, of course, passed away. Um, you know, um, that uh, I did, you know, I, I, I did want to do it. Um, but as I say, until my mother passed away, I, 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 you know, there was no chance. And I presume that's really why <clears throat> um, there was not very much known about him. Because the second family he had um, basically agreed, to, you know, agreed with us that we should just, you know, keep it keep it to ourselves it there was a it was a different time as well i mean i don't think he would have been able to keep that secret now would he i mean you know his phone would have been tapped you know i mean i think the story would have come out a lot easier if it hadn't been the 60s uh, the 70s um but uh, looking back i'm amazed it didn't really i think yeah, i think it was, it was i think it's a lot more common as well <laughs> my uh, my, my, my grandfather kept his my grandmother and my father but also he had two other families and he used to spend two or three days and he used to just go and live with each family for two or three days and he just used to circle them um yes, yes. and you know once again that yeah. was all kept very hush hush and secret amongst the family um, well, there you are yeah I've, I've had a few it, little yeah, maybe it isn't as unusual yeah absolutely. no it's it's i don't think it was i think it's a lot more common than people realize mm. yeah 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 i mean the um I, I sort of I felt because I've been going to conventions, I felt that um I sort of because all the fans were saying, oh, you know, we need we want to know so much more about Patrick, because you know, they knew a lot about all the other characters uh, actors that played uh, the other doctors, but they didn't know anything about Patrick because he was such a private man. And I sort of owed I felt I owed it to the community to write the book and, and tell everybody because um, they were, you know, they really wanted to know. And um, I think it went down well. Yeah, well, it's, 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 excellent. it's an excellent read. It's very compelling and easy, easily still available. So strongly recommend. But let's talk about you for a bit. I'd like to yeah. like... <laughs> so, That's fine, no. <laughs> I um, So was it, you were born very much, I mean, you've got your older brothers that went into acting. Why did you decide to become an actor? Do you know, I didn't want to be an actor to begin with. <laughs> I wanted to be a scientist. Um, and unfortunately, we couldn't afford um, at that time to, I couldn't afford really to go to university. Um, it was quite lucky really, because I don't think I would have been a very good scientist. Um, but all during my youth, I was, you know, the family would tell you, I had a little laboratory in my um, bedroom, um, and I do all sorts of uh, experiments and things like this. Um, but the changing point came when I got a Saturday, I uh, know a summer summer job actually at the London Palladium um, as a sort of backstage shifter, really, a sort of prop guy come shifter. Um, and uh, it was a summer special with Tommy Cooper, <laughs> Anita Harris, and... Uh, Who's the old guy in um, Dad's Army? Oh, um, 
anyway, another famous actor. Um, and uh, I think it was from that point on, I sort of was infected by the theatre bug. It was that that moment of of being backstage in a theatre. It, it was an emotional bond with me, I think. And so I followed the same route as David did. We uh, Luckily, my dad had a... Um, and a really good friend who um, ran a children's theatre, children's audiences um, in London. And we both became acting ASMs, um, which is uh, acting assistants, um, ASM, assistant stage managers. But we were acting as well, you know, little bits yep. coming in as the butler or whatever, you know. Uh, and we learned our trade that way. We didn't go to, neither of us went to, um, uh, to drama school. Now you have a gigantic list of TV shows that you've been in. I don't think, don't think it's been a TV show on TV in Great Britain that you haven't appeared in. Um, yeah, well, seventies, eighties, and nineties. It was a good time for TV because you know you didn't have all the millions of channels there were, um, and uh, you had viewing figures. You know, like I don't know for the New Statesman, we at one point we had viewing figures about seventeen million. Yep. Uh, you know, in, now we. <laughs> that would be, you know, for something uh, astronomical, like a football match or something like that. Yeah. But it was great. A good time. Good time. So, so work was as easy to come by? You just were able to go from job to job easily enough? I had a really good agent. I had a great agent. And um, there was a turning point where I started to get more regular work. I did a, um, a drama series called uh, Testament of Youth. Um, and uh, it was a BBC drama series in six parts, and I got really good um, feedback from that. Um, some lovely, uh, you know, some lovely things were said about what I did. And I think the casting directors from that point on, because they knew, um, they were more willing to, um, uh, you know, g give me give me different parts. Um, um, you know, different characters, because before that I'd been playing, you know, I don't know, um, policemen and, you know, the, the sort of classic stuff that you play. Uh, um, but um, from then on, I, I started to get some really interesting characters to play. And you're right, it was, you know, it was a good time. I mean, you can make a living as a, as a TV actor. <laughs> you can't do that now anymore. I was going to say, it'd be much harder now, wouldn't it? Gosh, yeah, you have to get into a series. Um, and again, of course, once you're in that series, it'll run. Um, and at the end of it, you go to a casting and someone will say, oh, you're so-and-so, aren't you, from so-and-so? And of course, you know, you've got no chance of getting the job because you're too recognisable. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's horses for courses. I mean, some dramas, some TV, it doesn't matter. But I would say majority it does. And uh, I'm glad I'm not a young actor starting out now, that's for sure. So you took a few years off to care for your wife and- I did, then yeah. did some other study and things. So what was sort of happening in that period in terms of leaving right. acting for a while? Well, what happened was um, my wife contracted MS um, when she was 21, actually. But it got worse um, around about her 50s. Um, and it got to the stage where I basically, I had to become a full-time carer. Um, and in order to do that, I, I gave up acting 
and um, I did a, um, a teaching course and became a qualified teacher of physics, believe it or not. <laughs> so you became a scientist. There you go. I did. Yeah, I, I had that fulfilled. Um, I became a, a physics teacher at a, a local school here. And then um, I was offered <clears throat> a teaching job, head of drama at uh, another school down the road. So I did that for three years. Um, and eventually I couldn't really leave the house because she, you know, she needed help all the time. So for about three years, um, I was caring for her. And then eventually she passed away. Um, and uh, I, I thought about going back to acting um, for a while, but I left it for a year. And then I did go back. I got an agent and um, I got some lovely, lovely parts. Um, but I don't think the burning desire was there anymore, to be honest. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, but as I say, you know, when you have to go up and down the road, if you live in the country 100 miles away and you have to go back and forth to London all the time, because it's always London based, uh, or it was then, um, it comes becomes very tedious. So I desperately tried to think of how I could uh, move on from that. And uh, that's when I came up with the idea of um, building a studio and doing voiceovers and uh, that kind of stuff. So how did you come to do get the part for in the Doctor Who Christmas special, The Last Christmas? Um, they phoned me up. I've never had that happen before. They phoned me up and said, oh, do you want to come in and have a look at this script? Um, and funny enough, it, was, um, it wasn't the script. It wasn't the Christmas special. And I came in and we didn't read anything. We just talked. Um, and then I left, I thought, well, bloody hell, yeah, that's useless. I haven't got that one. Walked away. About two months later, <clears throat> they phoned up and they said, oh, we'd like you to be in the Christmas special. And we got this strange little character uh, and we thought it'd be fun, you know, you being um, son of Pat and, uh, and it'd be great fun to do. Um, and you have a wonderful death at the end of it. And I thought, hey, wonderful death. I'm in there. Um, and uh, that's how I got it, really. So I didn't read for it or anything. So was it particularly long you spent in terms of read-throughs and acting in it? How had how, how much a TV changed coming into Doctor Who's? In, right, good question. Very good question, yeah. It had changed an awful lot. I think when I came after my wife died and I, I started trying to get back in, um, it was like starting from the beginning again, because all the casting directors I knew had either passed on or, um, you know, they'd become producers or gone off and done something else. And there were a couple left, um, but, um, yeah, it, uh, it was different. Um, there was cast, you, you know, in the old days, you'd go up and you'd read with a director or a producer. Um, and then, of course, it went to you'd go up to the casting director who would then pass you on to talk to the director and the producer. The, in the sort of 20, I suppose, 2012, yeah. Um, yeah, around, yeah, around about then. Yeah, probably about um, 14 years ago, probably. 
I started back into it, it was very different. Um, auditioning was, first of all, you had to do something like this to camera. You'd just read and then you'd send the file. Then the casting director would say, yeah, we'd like to see you. And then the casting director would say, well, the director and the producer would like to see you. So it all became like this multifaceted thing to try and get a job. Um, and uh, I, I didn't, didn't like that process. I said to my agent, I said, unless anybody phones up, um, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, unless, they, you know, a producer wants to, to, to talk to me and about a job, um, I don't want to do that. Um, and it's interesting as well, the, you wouldn't think it, but the actual pay had dropped an awful lot um, because there was so much being done. A lot of the money goes to the stars. And of course, there's not much left for, you know, the, the best friend of the main lead or whatever, you know. And so, again, that was a problem as well. Uh, I guess there'd be a lot of changes as rehearsal periods too. You no longer actually did rehearsals, just sort of turned up and filmed and... Yeah. Um, yes, there were, in, I suppose, back in the 80s and, yeah, the 70s and 80s and 90s, they had um, what was called an, um, an acting rehearsal room. Uh, it was huge. It looked like a multi-storey car park, uh, the BBC this. And uh, everybody would basically go and rehearse on different floors. And so you'd get, you know, I don't know, you'd get Morecambe and Wise weeing next to you into the loo, you know, and it was wonderful. Um, and you'd get to see all these wonderful stars um, if you were lucky enough to get a job. Um, and you got probably, I mean, it wasn't unknown to rehearse for two to three weeks. Um, and the reason for that was that they didn't want to waste time in the studio. Um, it was most of the studio work I did. It was all it was done like it was live. I mean, it wasn't, but it was done under that time pressure. So you had to get it right first time. Um, and uh, yeah, after that, um, specifically with filming a lot, there, there was good rehearsal. But as time went on, uh, it would get to the thing where you just arrive on the set. You do one walkthrough and then you film it. Um, and you didn't really have a chance to breathe um, and, and try and develop a character. Uh, so that was another reason I didn't really like it. You didn't get the chance to, you know, uh, you had to do it all at home, whereas that's not the way I work. I like to, I like to develop it with the, with the people there, you know, interact with them. Um, and I think you see this a lot in... In TV, a lot of actors you can you can tell. I call them mirror actors. They're actors who uh, have basically perfected their role in the mirror, um, so they know what they look like. They're working from the outside in. Um, whereas both my brother and and my dad, you know, we worked from the inside out. We we'd get an emotion inside, and it would appear on our faces. Whereas a mirror actor produces a physical replication of that, but doesn't really have anything in, in, inside. Um, I, think, uh, I think we miss quite a lot of that now. Mm. Um, they're good actors, good technical actors, but sometimes I just think 
you know, that's why I think when when you see a really good actor on TV, you go, oh, wow, that was a brilliant performance. You know, I think back in the day, I think there were loads of actors doing that. So there wasn't, you know, it wasn't so much of a, a shock. But yep. now, you know, you get a good actor who, who has this emotional depth to them. Um, it's a wonderful thing to see, really is. Around the time uh, of the television Doctor Who, maybe a little bit before, you did your first work for Big Finish. And that, interestingly enough, was for a second Doctor Lost story with Fraser playing the yeah. role of the Doctor. What was that experience like for you watching that Fraser do? That was great, yeah. Well, you know what Fraser's like. Um, it was quite funny because I think Fraser was quite – he was quite, quite nervous I was going to be in the studio and he was doing Dad, you know. And uh, the first the first uh, take he did, I think uh, – I don't know whether you know, in some of the studios, you have all these, they're like telephone boxes and you're inside this little, you know, really hot, sweaty box. Um, and you can sort of see the other characters through the windows, but you're not really interacting with them. Um, and he he did his first sort of doctor bit because most of the time he did, um, he'd narrate, wouldn't he? And then he'd put the doctor in and then he'd narrate a bit more. Um, and uh, he finished it. And there was a deadly silence. And I said, well, that was crap, wasn't it? <laughs> and everybody burst out laughing. <laughs> oh, it wasn't, was it? <laughs> I said, no, it wasn't, Fraser. Bloody brilliant. Um, yeah, it was really, yeah, good fun. I love working with Fraser. He's, so, he's, so he's very man. physical, um, your dad. And I think Fraser, from, from what I've heard, puts a lot of physicality even into an audio recording. Is that something you've yeah. witnessed? And is that something you do too? Oh, so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, the problem with dad was um, a lot of his performance was physical. Um, you know, he had the voice and he had the, <clears throat> the coughs and the, the pauses. But um, in order to get that energy that he had, um, I find myself... You know, I've got a, a studio just here in there. Um, I find myself in this tiny little booth throwing myself around during the big big finish performances because you have to, you know, to try and get that energy. And I think what, what's really lovely is a lot of the fans have said, you know, um, you get this wonderful, wonderful energy that he had. So hopefully it's successful. So in terms of um, your work with Fraser Hines and Wendy Pedbury on that first one, had, had you been close to them much? Had you, had you known them particularly from the time of your dad's? Um, the first time I met Fraser since I was 13, because I remember meeting him when I was 13, uh, was when I went to a convention um, up in Newcastle, I think. Um, and I went up to him and he went, oh, he said, God, you've grown. And I went, yeah, I was 13 when I last saw you, which is a bit strange. And Wendy, yeah, I think I've met her quite a few times, actually, on and off uh, during my life. But uh, Fraser I hadn't seen, really. And it was odd because um, when I was doing The New Statesman, which was the, the Rick Mail sitcom, we were filming in the same place. He was on Emmerdale, Emmerdale Farm, which was this drama set in Yorkshire. Uh, which is still going, and uh, I was doing um, 
the new statesman, but we never, ever bumped into each other, which was, I mean, I don't know what the chances of that is, but there you go. So you came back to Big Fish, did a number of different audios, um, worked with, with Tom Baker, um, Tim Trelaw. Um, yeah, Tim Trelaw, yes, yeah. So what were those experiences like? They were great. Um, the ones with Tom Baker, uh, I don't think I was in the studio with him. I think Tom did his recording separately um, and somebody read in a lot of the time for that. Uh, so I, I don't know. I've met Tom. I, I did a radio with him. Um, it was lovely. Really good, smashing guy. Um, Tim Trelaw, of course, I'm I'm working with now a lot because he does the third one, and uh, yeah, we had it. We had a very good time together. Um, and, so uh, yeah, sorry. At what point did Big Finch come to you and say, "We've decided to recast the Doctor. Do you want to be him?" Yeah. Um, I think it was last summer, if I remember rightly. Was it last summer? Yeah, probably. And th- no, just Nick phoned up out the blue. And he said, I've had this thought, he said, and I want you to mull it over. What would you think about recreating your dad for a new sort of series, uh, 6B, which he explained to me what it was, um, this inter interspace between the between the um, transformation of the two doctors. Um, and um, I said, I've never really thought about that, to be honest. Never really thought about... Because at conventions, uh, a lot of people say, oh, dress up as your dad, you know, look like your dad. And, and I went, no, I don't want to do that. That's, you know, that's, um, that's for my dad, not for me. Um, and I sort of reacted the same way to begin with, in my head. Um, um, but uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, actually, it'd be really good fun be really good fun to have a go at it and uh eventually you know um i think i think he sent me an email saying what what do you think after our talk and i i wrote back said yeah let's have a go if i'm crap tell me and i'll uh uh, you can get someone else So, so it was, it was first announced you're coming to do um, Adventures Beyond the War Game as the, as the box set, but then yeah. they sort of snuck you in early into one of the um, third Doctor's shows, then Annihilators. Um, yeah, that was Nick's idea. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. what did you record first? Oh yeah, we the Annihilators. Yeah, we did it first, um, and uh, I think I yeah I did it from here uh, because. Um, sometimes recordings you can do from your own studio if you've got one uh, through something called um, clean feed which is this system where you know there are actors all over the country and uh, a central um, engineer and even Nick can be in his in his house uh, in his studio uh, and we all connect over audio and you can actually do videos on um, and we did it like that I think but I'm pretty sure I did my bits um, without some of the other characters there, if I remember rightly. And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's the way we did it. Yeah, um, I did a lot of research. I looked at a lot of the uh, videos um, for Dad and, and uh, 
I started out thinking, God, I've got to do an impression like John Coleshaw. But after that, I suddenly thought, no, I don't have to do that. What I have to do is I have to act like Dad. I don't need to do an exact replica of his voice. You need to produce the same kind of character. Um, uh, you know, a good mix of myself and Dad. And that's the way I approached it anyway. Yeah. So you're working with Fraser Hines again with that. Um, so we actually worked with Fraser, or was that all done at a different time? No, he was there, actually. Uh, he was in a studio um, in London somewhere. I, I, was, I was in my studio, um, but we had a good laugh over the, over the uh, you know. Because the... Did, did he comment on your performance? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I can't quite remember what he said. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Fraser knew, you know, that um, um, I think that uh, maybe his voice was getting a little older. Um, mine will do eventually. Um, and so, you know, um, I think he was fine with it. So, I mean, the bizarre thing is we still don't really know what you and Fraser are doing together yet. <laughs> Because you know, I don't either. Because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I don't know, I haven't seen the script yet. But uh, it generally, it, they generally start. You know, I think, I think they said they're going to do a couple of year. Um, so uh, I should know, probably December time, maybe November. Right for for the, for the second box set, and whether phrase phrase is going to appear in that. Um, so I've yeah, got for... a feeling he might. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know whether he's going to, but it'd be great if he did, because we'd be back to the old duo. I mean, it was great acting with John Coleshaw, you know, as a brigadier. And uh, he was so sweet. He sent me uh, he sent me a lovely um, email saying, oh, my word, wasn't that fun? You know, guy, you know, we sounded so 1960s together, didn't we? And uh, he said, oh, you're doing such a lovely job. And I, I, I'm really, really pleased to be working with you. It was really sweet, really nice. So your first box set, I mean, two great stories, the final beginning by Mark Wright and Nicholas Briggs, and then Roth of the Ask Warriors by Andrew Smith. So some you know, great, great big finished writers there. Um, I think like that was important. I think it was really important. It, you know, we had to blow everyone away, uh, which I think we've done. Um, I mean, from the feedback on Twitter and Facebook and letters and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's a favourite at the moment. Um, people absolutely love it, and as you say, brilliant writers, really good stories. It makes such a difference, it really yep. does. So, did you have any said all in terms of what happened with the script? Were you just given them and said go for it? I was given them. Um, I I looked at some of what Dad would say. Um, I was given free reign to to ad-lib certain things during, um, you know, and if it didn't work, we'd do, we'd do another take or whatever. Um, but there, there, are, there are lovely things that Dad used to do, um, and he'd do ad-libs, which would thoroughly annoy, of course, uh, <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> um, he, he would get so irritated um, because, um, you know, the third Doctor was a... Uh, was a stickler for um, 
let's put it this way, discipline in acting. You know, you know your lines, you know where you're moving, you know what you're doing. I do everything like a dance. That's what he do. And he was brilliant. You know, he was absolutely fantastic at it. But when dad worked with him, it would it would put him off <laughs> because dad would say a completely different line. And of course, you know, John would say, well, that's not the line. And he said, well, it's close enough, isn't it? It's close enough. You know, it's got the same meaning. He said, no, I want the proper line, Pat, <laughs> or else I won't be able to say what I say. He said, no, you can say that. You know, and there'd be this wonderful argument between them. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the way Dad worked. And so I try and recreate that. I try and, you know, try and become loose enough to be able to do ad libs and uh, various things, you know, that he'd do. Because so you've already mentioned work, working with John Coleshaw. Um, to me, the standard performance in many ways was Katie Manning. Um, oh. you know, <laughs> like, utterly mad. Um, Fantastic. Did you know Katie before? And what, what was it yes, like? Yes, yeah. I knew Katie before. What was it like, like acting against that performance? Listen, she was my pin-up when I was uh, 16, 17. So when we first met, I think it was at a signing, an autograph signing, um, I told her, she went, oh, my Ali, how marvelous! How wonderful! I said, "Yeah, I've always loved you," and uh, and um, it was a shame because uh, I think I think they, yeah, no, David has met her because David had that um, uh, story with her, didn't he? Um, the um, yeah, what was it called? Curse of Bill. Curse, Curse of Bill. That's it. Well done. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think he's. I think he's met met her but she is such a wonderful person she's got she's not got a bad bone in her body she's mm. absolutely you know if you can meet someone who has true goodness that's katie um and she's got this wonderful approach to life uh, uh you know everything about her i love her she's absolutely marvelous and <laughs> she came up with her voice <laughs> for her uh you know for the ice warrior I mean, you know, it was, everybody was going, my God, where the hell did that come from? You know, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's happy like this, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she has the most amazing range of voices. She can do anything. She really is. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah. So Nicholas Briggs took a lot of care over the, you know, making sure he was always produced properly. He directed you as well. Um, so what, do, you, do you know what you're looking forward to in the future in terms of the second Doctor range? I'm looking forward to um, getting a companion. Uh, be nice to have a companion. I don't want to, there's a lot of um, talking to myself <laughs> to, uh, you know, for exposition. Oh my word, I, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, soliloquies. Um, what I'd love to do is to be able to bounce off some other character, um, you know, uh, a companion of some sort, um, whether it be Fraser or anyone else. Um, but uh, what am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to meeting all the monsters, all the classic monsters. I mean, God, I met the Daleks and the, uh, Ice, the Warriors. Ice Warriors. Yeah, can't wait to meet all the others. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. And also great storytelling. You know, I, I love a bit of, uh, I mean, I'm a great audio book listener. Um, but I, I tend to listen to uh, dramas that have been put together, like the BBC dramas. Um, I do like a, a, a good drama led by actors. It's, uh, 
it's um i don't know it's a different medium it it can you have your own personal image in your head you don't you, you're not affected by the te- you know when you watch television sight is a very important thing to people and a lot of the time you look but you don't listen and with radio you can't do that you have to create the image in your head and it's different for everyone which is that's what's really lovely um and yeah that i mean that's i think that's the strength of radio drama and that's i think how it survived as well um through audiobooks and uh, audio dramas but big finish had done an amazing job incredible job they have all started presumably during the, the bit where there wasn't any Doctor Who. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. T- two years ago, Dwayne on this very program predicted that you should it would make the best second Doctor, having oh, heard really? your, having heard your readings on the audiobook. Um, we he, he, he actually tweeted it in the past when you were announced. Dwayne tweeted yeah. the fact that um, I predicted this two years ago. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> that was fantastic. And well, you. <laughs> and you have not and you have not disappointed at all it was a marvelous um oh, introduction great. to the second doctor we're very excited to see where it's going to go next i am and, as um, well yeah looking forward to it yeah 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 listen michael thank you so much for your time we really do appreciate it no problem at all absolute pleasure from big finish productions doctor who the audio novels the dead star Polly and the Doctor walk through the deserted campus, past the brushed concrete buildings, heading for the tube station. The balmy summer evening was spiced with the smell of freshly mown lawns. Doctor, said Polly, if I ask Dr Fields to tell me what a black hole is, she'll never stop telling me. So would you mind explaining it, preferably in words of one syllable? The Doctor said, well, I'll try. You see... A black hole can be created when a very large star reaches the end of its lifespan and goes supernova. Now, a star is tremendously massive. Earth's sun weighs about an octillion tons. When a star's furnace goes out, there's nothing left to hold the star up against its own enormous weight. He mimed a ball with his hands, bringing them suddenly together. The dead star collapses in on itself crushing all of its matter into a tiny space. His right hand became a tight fist. The closer you get to it, the more intensely you feel its gravity, until it's so powerful that nothing can escape its pull, not even light. That's why it's black, said Polly, a little bit awed. Out of the corner of her eye she saw a large dog crossing one of the lawns. When she turned her head it was gone. She said, So it's sort of... "'Sucks everything in?' "'Well, no. "'They're not vacuum cleaners,' said the doctor, "'pleased with his joke. "'They don't suck and they don't gulp. "'From a distance the black hole's gravity is perfectly safe, "'just as if it was an ordinary star. "'But if you go back into the black hole, "'you can never come out again.' "'Was that the dog again, passing behind them?' "'Polly tried to concentrate. "'It's funny orbit.' It has something to do with the time corridor, doesn't it? He nodded. The time corridor is straight as a die. Dr. Fields thinks her planet X is following an elongated elliptical orbit, like a comet. She doesn't have enough data yet to see the straight line. They were passing by the grandiose optics building. 
But, Doctor, does that mean... Between two columns, she caught a glimpse of that dog again. No, it wasn't a dog. An instant later, the thing skittered round the column, a thick body with multiple legs, staring at them menacingly with two black eyes. No, four. Eight? The shriek came out of Polly as though someone had pushed her down a flight of stairs. Now the monster was a hound bigger than she was, made of hundreds of small, metallic parts all jumbled together, moving and changing in front of her eyes. Oh dear, it's a robot! exclaimed the doctor. All at once it was tumbling towards them. This collection of pieces of red rods and gold chains and jagged silver shapes galloping across the grass so lightly it left no trace. But there was a parked car in its way and it leapt onto it, crumpling the roof like foil. Oh my star! shouted the doctor. Polly was frozen in place. The moment he grabbed her arm, she turned to run with him, even though the robot man-dog was racing down the road only a few seconds behind them. Only one second behind. It was on them. Big finish for the love of stories. Well, there you go. That was a fantastic chat with Michael Troughton, wasn't it, Philip? As always, Dwayne, as always. <laughs> Always great to get those insights. Now, it is time for our recommendations at the end of our show today. And let me see, whose turn was it? Do you remember whose turn it was, Philip? I, I think it was your turn, wasn't it? Are you sure? I'm positive. Oh, in which case go I go on. first then. <laughs> um, I'm going to recommend a podcast, which is a pop culture podcast called Raven On. Um, I don't know whether I, I may have mentioned this in the past. I'm not sure whether I have or not. Um, but just to give a bit of uh, background, Last week, I went to the theatre. Well, it was actually the theatre. I went to the Maritime Museum. You went so to in, the theatre. The theatre. Um, in Sydney, we have a huge Maritime Museum at Darling Harbour. And there was an outdoor play being held called Titanic, the movie, the play, which was directed and written by um, an amazing uh, actress. Um, and I'm hoping I'll, Natalie, I hope I get your name right, Nat. Uh, Natalie Pochensky. Um, and Natalie, yeah, so she brought the show down, but I've been listening to her podcast um, for about six or seven months now. So I first started listening because she was reviewing The Flux, or The Flux, depending how you can't pronounce it. And so I started listening to her podcast as she was doing that. Um, after that, she, started, she they did a, so it's her and a guy called Stu, they live in Queensland, they're, so they're Australians, uh, in Queensland. They did a podcast, they then, after doing um, The Flux, they, then they had Tom Selinski on. They uh, had Tom Selinski on some twice. Yeah. Yep, a couple of times there. Um, uh, yep. And then they've done all the Robin Hood movies. Reviewing all the... And of course, I'm a big fan of Robin Hood. And I've seen most of the movies. So I was enjoying their take on all the Robin Hood movies. They've also done a whole heap of James Bond. It started because they were doing Game of Thrones, which I've never watched. But... I have been watching the new series that just started up, which is House, House of, Dragon. of Dragon. And of course, week by week, they're doing a review of each of the House of Dragon episodes. So as I said, I'd never watched uh, Game of Thrones before, but with Matt Smith being House of Dragon, I thought I'd watch this. It is sensational. And their podcast is just brilliant. So the way they analyze and pull it apart, and they just have helped me see things I wouldn't have seen otherwise. 
Um, just now noting the colours that different families are wearing in terms of just the clothing they wear, and when colours change from green, well, from you know, reds to teals to greens, and all the significance. Um, it's yeah, so it's very, very. I mean, the House of Dragons, it's like Game of Thrones. It's quite violent. Um, there's a bit too much nudity, probably more than you need. Um, so it's sort of for a young audience, and some you know, it does take its time with some of the violence. But the political machinations are just brilliant. And the podcast, brilliant. So if you love pop culture podcasts, they've got lots of other things they review as well. But Natalie's hilarious. Um, she gave me a shout out a week or so ago. Good on you, Natalie. Um, but the play was just a, a joy to go to and watch, watching the Titanic. She did the entire three and a half hours of Titanic in about an hour 15. But they managed to hit every single beat. And as I said, it was all done on the docks. They had a little front of the Titanic. They had... Rose was being played. They just kept changing audience members and putting audience members out to play Rose. Um, and they'd hand out cards to people and we all got to participate and be part of it all. It was just such a fun, fun night. So yeah, if you get a chance to see one of her shows, it's worth it. And if you get a chance to listen to the podcast, go go to it. Excellent. Fantastic. What about you? What, what have you listened to? Yeah, I'm going to recommend the first story that Michael Troughton appeared in for Big Finish, and that was a lost story called Lords of the Red Planet. It was written by Brian Hales for season six originally. And if you look at the scale of this story, you can understand why they dropped this in favor of the Seeds of Death. It is a Ice Warriors origin story. So with one of these stories, Philip, where none of the um, characters other than the Doctor and crew uh humanoid so that would have been very very ambitious to make and it may have been you know far less impressive on the screen as it would have been on paper because on paper this is a sensational story i love origin stories uh stories um and this is a a really interesting one uh michael troughton plays a good role as was mentioned in the interview he's not playing the doctor he's watching fraser hines play the doctor so that's always interesting too and these lost stories from the early years are interesting because they're sort of they're sort of semi full cast semi companion chronicle style uh, and directed by lisa bauman so it's very minimal in the music and things like that so she lets the performances shine really 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 good stuff i love these uh, lost stories, particularly from this era, the black and white era. So that's my recommendation, Lords of the Red Planet. It's been a very, very long time since I've listened to it. I might try and fit it in somewhere. Absolutely. Well worth your time. All right. That's us for this time uh, on the show. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and wherever you are. Thank you very much for, for being with me, Philip. Thank you for being with me, Dwayne. And we'll catch you all next time. See you. This has been the Sirens of Audio episode 138. Michael Troughton and the Aunt of Giddy with the man himself and your hosts, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Original theme music composed by Joe Kramer. Our website is sirensofaudio.com. You can email us at sirensofaudio at gmail.com or contact us via any one of our socials. Thanks for listening, audiophiles. We'll hear you next time. Yeah, the second Doctor's always been my favourite Doctor. 
Of um, course. Of course. And it, it's actually it's interesting how it happened because it happened because, well, first by a book, because the first first target book I bought was The, the Web of Fear. Oh, and right. so just, just reading about this doctor, just his image on the front cover. And mm. then in Australia, they kept repeating it, Doctor Who, over and over again. So every night, it was on every night at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and so The Three Doctors was my favourite story. Right. And, and it was partly because, you know, you, the second Doctor against John Pertwee's Doctor, he just makes fun of him the whole time. And yeah. to me, yeah. to me, and that's why I fell in love with with the second Doctor through, through that, that show originally, and then being able to go back and not see enough yeah. of them, Timothy destroyed. Um, mm. And it's the, the physicality of your father, so that when, I think it was when the um, discovery of... What's the world domination enemy, one? Enemy of, enemy the, of world. the world. Enemy and, of the world. Yeah, and just, great. The, and just you know, the way there's all this stuff, of course, that we never saw before. You know, as, as your father goes to the TARDIS, strips down to his long johns, does a little kick <laughs> in the air, runs to the ocean, <laughs> and just playing around the water. Like, yeah. he's just having a ball. And, and we had yeah. no idea that existed until that episode was found. I just, yeah, really yeah. praying yeah. we'll get some more episodes back because every oh, episode that gets found. I tell you, when, when those episodes um, were. Um, they were found. We went off to the BFI um, uh, to have uh, the first look at them, and it was it was a lovely, lovely feeling. And my goodness, what a fantastic job they'd done of um, cleaning them up! I mean, it was it's stunning, absolutely stunning. And that, let's cross fingers we find some more. Yeah, that's, that's for so. sure.